Hello and welcome to the Bizverse Dev Podcast. This is episode 27. I'm your host, James Robert. And I'm Mick Posen. And this week we are going to talk about my recent stroke of luck, kind of, and Mick's uh, trust issues. Why do you love you? I like so the back and forth. I think it works well. We oh, finish each other's other... sandwiches. Sentences. Oh. Okay. And sandwiches. Um, you wanted to share about your wonderful stroke of dumb luck, or not so dumb luck. Smart luck. Wonderful stroke of smart luck. I'm talking about smartness, too. That's true. Yes. Um, But first, listeners, we are trying a new recording setup. So feedback appreciated. If you think we sound better this week, (laughs) then let us know. If you don't, then kindly unsubscribe. (laughs) No, 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 no. If you don't, just 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 continue to let us know that you you adore the mellifluous sounds of our voices. Um, and the scraping noises of our headset mics. Yes, especially that. If you especially like that, please let Actually, us know. Actually, to, prop- to properly quote Susie Durkins, it's the melodious sounds of our voices. And headset mics. Yeah, yes, <laughs> headset mics. <laughs> All right. This is from, more from Californication. Quick follow-up from last week. Um, one of the listeners mentioned to me the, how she has absolutely no problem focusing on a, a task because she's such... But because she's she's an academic... Uh, professor, so she has lots of assignments to grade, and she'll she's creating course materials, or if she's teaching, or she focuses. And I remember that, in fact, I did have a recent incident at home where I was working on, um, I was editing, uh, piecing together a little history for an article, and I was, I, I must have been at it for maybe two hours, not a single distraction. It was research writing, research writing, research writing. Some of it was some of it was personal recall. I did have to remember, so it was very involved. But it was with a process that I was very used to. Which right. is what? Memory, writing, reading. But when I was working on wireframing a while ago, that was the thing that was really, really exhausting for me. Hmm. So just I think it's, it took a lot more <laughs> cranial exertion. Do you think it's more difficult when it's more... Uh, it's more... Sorry, I said that wrong. Do you think it's more exhausting when it's more difficult? Uh... More difficult doesn't well, you're not familiar with it. Unfamiliar. Yeah. So uh, if you yes. have more hours with and comfort with this with this material, then it's not as difficult. So which is why it's so easy for you to kind of just sit back and code because this is a yeah absolutely. Software developers as entrepreneurs run into this all the time because what's the thing that's easy for you to just drop 15 hours on? You know, new features and inevitably that means that not enough. I I hear a bird. I hear a bird too. Maybe it's the sound of a. But it must be splitting. someone's ringtone because we're in Manhattan. Right. I did hear. <laughs> I did hear one or two birds the other day. I mean, earlier today, I was went for a quick walk and it was, it was divine. Um, I started using a, a white noise app at work. It's just birds and waves. I mean, of wind and it's, it's so wonderful. That's uh, so on the topic of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Where we leave off. Oh, um, yeah. And so as a result, developers often don't do the rest of the entrepreneurial stuff, which is usually more important than the new features. Once you've built the core features. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. You just, you just spoke some very, very controversial words that there's something more important than coding when it comes to a company. I'm glad that you acknowledge that there's, which I'm not surprised by, but I'm glad well, that you. Well, if you can't get anyone to use the code, what's the point of writing it? Right, you just need a business monkey to make it. <laughs> right. To to to, uh, to to sell it. Just like every business guy wants just a code monkey to to build it. Absolutely. So um 
All right, so my stroke of luck was, coincidentally, related to writing some code. Cooling <laughs> dink. Um, uh, so I, we've talked about it on the show a little bit before. I wrote this audio processing library. It's called PyDub. It's at PyDub.com. Um, and basically what it does is, well, you know what? Let's, I'll tell you the story. So I was working on a project, which was basically like Twitter for audio. So instead of writing short tweets, it was short sound bites, and people could post them, and you had a feed. Think of everything everything Twitter except for that the, the actual media that people consume is 30-second clips of audio. In retrospect, 30 seconds is not especially short when it comes to audio. If it was really going to be analogous to Twitter, probably should have gone for like eight seconds. A vine. Yes, exactly. But anyway, it, that was the vine. core concept. Well, we built this in Python. Turns out audio processing in Python is pretty unpleasant <laughs> it's not especially easy it's um so i you know as i was working on this contract i started noticing just all the ridiculous crap i was having to do i was like using ffmpeg you know which is an external library calling it at the command line from code and um trying to use python has a little bit of audio stuff built in in a library called audio op and um I was thinking, you know, it should be possible to just use that, but it was surprisingly hard to actually make it work. So later on, I finally said, you know what, I spent hours looking for something to ease my pains and nothing existed, so I wrote this library to solve the problem. And uh, then I went back. This is the part that's not a stroke of luck. <laughs> if you are writing an open source library, obviously step one, check if someone already wrote it, because if they did, you're kind of in trouble already <laughs> and not in trouble but you know it's going to be much harder i don't know it's, much harder it's you know what i'm not even going to say it's harder but it's just like starting a business mm -hmm. starting an open source library has a lot of the same problems as starting a business or starting a band for that matter <laughs> you have to get people to care so if and you you've wanna, done all three and i kind of did all three sort of by accident i so i obviously where do you search you search in places where developers are to mm -hmm. try and find answers and uh, so then after I wrote the library, I circled back, went to Stack Overflow, and answered all the questions by using the library. I'm like, oh, this is easy. Just use PyDub. <laughs> <laughs> so I answered basically every question I could find that was, like, right in the core, like, of what PyDub goes, aims to how solve. Many, how many questions were there on the, for this problem? Um, the very, very core, which is just shelling out to, to FFmpeg to convert between, like, MP3 and mm -hmm. Flash FLV files and M4As and all the different audio formats. Just shelling out to FFmpeg and doing conversions is a one-liner with PyDub. And so I just went through, searched for people trying to do that, and every single one that had no good answer, which is basically all of them, I just answered like, oh, you can do this in one line with PyDub. No, but, but how many of those core And people... that was about probably 50-ish questions. Wow. And I mean, because converting between formats is not like an uncommon thing. That you right, do but I mean, software. you figure there'd, there'd be another way by now. I mean, I remember using different... <laughs> Well, some a lot of people gave the code that does what PyDub does, but the hard way. Like, no. oh, here, yeah, sure, just use this, blah 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 blah. <laughs> shell out to FFmpeg and then check the you know things, or or you can try and use this, or you can try this hack. And over time, I started to realize like a lot of those hacks they work if in the majority case, but by dumb luck. Mm -hmm. So it's like if there, you can, for instance, just combine two MP3 files without doing any processing, and like. Usually it'll work. It'll they'll just play back to back because most MP3 like reader software 
will just sort of ignore the errors like oops we have the beginning of a file in the middle of this file mm -hmm. and like it will work anyway and like most mp3s are encoded with a lot of the same parameters anyway so mm -hmm. it doesn't trip them up too often but every once in a while you'll get something weird like the second song will play twice as fast mm -hmm. or like say one's stereo and one's mono that's i remember that's i once odd. had a, a cd that ripped and i think it combined tracks together uh well that's another thing cds are actually all just one long track. CDs mm -hmm. are very much like vinyl. It's raw audio, mm -hmm. and it's just the 72 minutes start to finish right on there as raw. <laughs> and like all of the thing about skipping tracks and stuff, that is all right at the very beginning of the disc. That's like the table of contents. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, if you just ignore the table of contents, you can encode, as far as I understand, a CD as one big giant wave file. I remember back in the day I used to um, put non- music CDs into uh, a CD player. And sometimes they would have tracks on them. I mean, Not, oh, yeah, yeah, because you could put the table of contents first and then have like a second data partition. Or it's just music from a game. The, the game had music and it was encoded in a way that a CD player could read it as well. It would have to be, well, huh. You have to, they would have to have done that on purpose. I, I remember a distinct number of, I mean, remember Judge Dredd did that. I maybe rise of... Rise of the Re Resurrection, Rise of the Robots 2, um, and then Midtown Madness. I'm just saying, that doesn't happen by accident. They, they had to specifically set out to do that. I mean, I'm, I wonder if... I could see how you could do it. You just put the data on the second partition. Easy. That they did that that way so that when it comes to playback, they just use that protocol. Just the CD, the CD player music protocol that they would use for regular music track. Yeah, CD audio is a really inefficient encoding, though. It's uncompressed, for one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the data is, like, I don't know. There's a reason why the CD, like, a CD can hold, what, 10 songs-ish? Seven, <laughs> 70 minutes, but if you put MP3 files on a CD, suddenly you can fit, like, hours of music <laughs> on. I mean, yeah, I don't know. CD, uh, music CDs are, like, pretty much the only raw media format that we put on discs like mm -hmm. blu-rays and dvds and stuff that's compressed data it's not raw data it would never fit if it was raw mm -hmm. which is why ripping a cd is a lot faster than ripping a dvd because you have to decode and then re-encode the video files oh i assume because you're so much bigger that's what it takes there a dvd is what like four gigabytes ish 4.7 that's only five times ish about six times the size of a cd and the drives are a lot faster now I mean, you rip a CD in 10 minutes, you rip a DVD in like three hours. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty big difference. It's not a 5X difference. Well, DVDs, CDs are 52, the max read speed was 52 times. Uh-huh. And I have never seen a DVD reader to be that fast. That's because a 1X DVD uh -huh. is like, I don't actually know what the equivalent is, but the data rate of a 1X DVD drive is much faster than a 1X CD gotcha. drive. Also, DVDs have... Um, different kinds of, like, it can read mm -hmm. in parallel. I'm pretty sure it's, like, dual layer. You know what? We're getting outside of what I actually know. <laughs> I'm not a hardware engineer. Um, so, PyDub, over time, engine up. I, every time I do new features or I start supporting, I actually wrote audio op. The audio op module that's built into Python, I rewrote it in Python and contributed to another Python implementation so that it would work, which is, <laughs> like, low-level, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, that was a that was a hard project. It took me probably like three full days of hacking on it to like implement it. And it's only like 10 or 15 functions. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I can say that I wrote part of PyPy now. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, 
let's see. So it inches up. It gets, you know, a few stars on GitHub every month, and it gets up to 100 stars maybe over the period of a year and a half, and then uh, starts accelerating, I guess, as people are finding it. It gets on Reddit and uh, didn't get much action on Reddit. Got like two, three, two or three comments. Which subreddit? Probably programming. I don't know. I'm not a Reddit user, really. And uh, A Redditor, you mean? Sure. <laughs> um, Evidently. And then a place where many Redditors have fled to, Hacker News. <laughs> Somebody submits it to Hacker News last Sunday, and then, like, I get an avalanche, like 550 stars overnight. I'm like, okay, so imagine this. Is This is – it was almost – bordering on bizarre i'm at home i'm with my wife it's a sunday night we're just like kicking it back we're sitting on the couch i think we watched a couple episodes of walking dead and then you know you don't want to watch walking dead right before bed so then we switched <laughs> to playing destiny a first person shooter which my wife is very fond of for i didn't realize your wife was a gamer that's awesome uh yeah kind of she likes shooters mm -hmm. um and uh so there we are, we're playing Destiny, and since Destiny is one player, mm -hmm. and th apparently their strategy for people who have more than one person who like games in the house is to buy two TVs, two PS4s, and two copies of Destiny. Um, so we take turns. <laughs> um, so we're handing the controller back and forth, and they have these 10-minute, like, player-versus-player matches that we're doing online. And so during my 10 minutes while she's playing, I, like, pick up my phone, check my feed reader, and I'm like... Oh, PyDub. Oh, wait, Hacker News? That's PyDub. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I go over to uh, the comments and I start responding to them. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So I respond to the comments on Hacker News, a few of them. And then I go on my uh, GitHub repository and, you know, take a look how many stars I've gotten. And it's like, you know, 250 or 300 already. So that's cool. It was wait, exciting. Wait. And at this point, your wife has now been playing for how many, how many series of 10 minutes? Oh, just one. I, when it was my turn, I just put down Hacker News. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then, I mean, that's all well and good. I mean, it, it was only like 50 upvotes. Now, Sunday night is a pretty low traffic day, even mm -hmm. for Hacker News. Um, imagine my surprise. I wake even up. Even the coders and, have to sleep sometimes. Yes. Well, I, Hacker News is kind of global now. Anyway, imagine my surprise Monday morning. Mm -hmm when I take out my laptop and 9 a.m. and it's still on the front page of Hacker News mm -hmm. and now it has like 150 upvotes and I have like 750 stars on GitHub and I'm mm -hmm. like, oh wow, this is great. And then I see someone has reported a bug. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh God. So um, that was really cool. I don't know. It's- uh, What was it, the bug? Uh, I was converting, um, this is pretty in the weeds, but needless to say, there's two different methods of measuring how loud sound is one is by the peak of the wave and one is by the root mean squared method mm -hmm. which is just like a mathematical method of sort of averaging it out yeah because just the height is doesn't really tell you that much because there could be lots of little mm -hmm. i mean you could have just one frequency at the full height or you can have all these different frequencies a very complex waveform which is i don't know also i don't know Sine waves are not as loud as square waves at the same height. There's lots of nuance to it. So there's this other mathematical way. <laughs> the thing is, RMS and amplitude, which is just the height one, there's different formulas for converting those to decibels, which is sort of a measure of loudness. And uh, I used the wrong one, <laughs> which it, it, the only, literally the difference in the formula is multiply by two. <laughs> so like I was missing the multiply by two part. So, okay, fine. Like, it's not a huge bug, but it reports all your numbers as off by an order of times two. So, uh, I don't know. It's not the hugest deal, 
since like it's a logarithmic scale anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good to get that fixed, especially if you're reporting these numbers like in your interface to users or something. Like, oh, it's you know my audio is not that loud. It's minus six dBFS, and like actually it's minus three, which is a lot louder, ish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and now you're famous. No, but. Um, something interesting happened as a result. <laughs> I got this email from a guy who tried to use the library, and he told me that I should have debugged it before posting it on Hacker News because he was not able to get it to work, which I found amusing because I didn't post it, and it's very well debugged. Lots of people are using it in production. <laughs> so I replied back, and I was... I nicely informed him that his... He pasted a stack trace into his email. So I was like, I recognize the stack trace right away. I know exactly what that is. It's like, oh, your Python installation isn't finding FFmpeg. Here's how you can manually set the thing. This is in the documentation. Many people have asked this question on Stack Overflow and in the PyDub issue tracker. So it's like, whatever. I didn't even answer the email in the email. I just gave him a link to where I answered it before. So anyway, like two days later, he sends me another email. He's like... I wasted hours of my life on this not working crap. <laughs> like, thanks for letting me know. At what point in time did he call you a clown? Uh, let me check the message, but I think it was the first email. <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, you know, let's look. Yeah, so the second one. After I told him what he did wrong, he goes, like, uh, two days later, blah, 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 go away, clown. You wasted hours of my time with this non-working junk. <laughs> Just funny. I'm, I'm reminded of that character from The Simpsons, the overweight comic book nerd. Well, you know what? I do know about this guy. Mm -hmm. He's he an overweight comic He uses Windows. Hey, <laughs> don't knock Windows. I'm not knocking it. It says it right here in the stack trace. Windows error. <laughs> <laughs> the system could not find the file specified. That seems like a fortunate experience. I want to transition into trust and how... Oh, I thought you wanted to talk about how Apple users are smarter. Oh. <laughs> well, we can briefly touch on that topic. In general, I, be I believe... In general, computers... So we were... Uh, James and I, before the show, discussing how um, there's a lock switch that's been... The physical lock switch has been removed from the new iPads. And... This might have been because it was confusing people, and you could change the function so you could technically really screw someone's head if you get hold of their iPad, unplug it, I mean, turn it on, and then just fiddle right. with it. And as a result, people don't really know what it does because right. it does a different thing on different people's devices, and it gets, you know, flicked by accident <laughs> to the other position. So I think they removed it because it was a source of confusion. Yeah, people aren't aware of it, and then I thought, but right now, what happened? What's happened? You have devices that are intended to be used by smarter people in the hands of people who are not. Do you mean that in the sense that it's technology and yes. people who are not technology users are using it? Uh, or do you mean it in the sense that people should have, less smart people should be using some other technology? Like the kid-friendly devices? Well, that's what I, that's what, that was my initial reaction when you said it. I was like, well, what else are they gonna use? Windows tablets? That'd be more complicated for them. In general, I mean, any kind of, sophisticated technology has that's not just completely and utterly obvious this is the thing that what you're doing isn't for anyone but the people to the right of the bell curve and even then i'm not sure sorry i don't know if that's necessarily true i think 
if anyone, Apple has made it so that you don't need to be on the right half of the bell curve. You only need to be on the right 80% of the bell curve now. Well, see, this is what I'm not sure about. I feel some people can, you can tell when somebody doesn't know how to use a phone very well. Right. And it's functional, as in the same way that, although I, maybe I would, I would even argue that in some ways an iPhone is more functional than those absurd uh, flip phones back in there. The, any, kind, any kind of those, like, those semi-dumb phones? Feature phones. Feature phones. Yeah. I remember seeing some of them, and they're just, the menu is so not intuitive. It's really, it's just, it's unpleasant. Which one's back? Which one's okay? Yeah. Well, at least they had the, the good sense to optimize it for making phone calls. If you just flip it open and dial a phone number and hit the green button, it'll call someone. Yes, that's convenience. This reminds me of Google Play Music. I've there's so many different ways you can play with it on the on the Android to figure out, well, to attempt to figure out how to get to different parts of it. Mm-hmm. And if you press back, then it takes you one place. I, I recently learned that you can you can swipe something down, but that's not my default behavior. I suddenly slight my default behavior would be to push back a couple of times. This was not the case. You would expect back to go back? Yeah, and I went back a couple of times, and then we just kept go- I kept going in a loop, which is very unpleasant. Oh, that happens on web pages sometimes. Right, but that's because things get keep getting reloaded, get redirected. This is just... Uh, yeah, like when people override back, and then you hit back, and then it overrides it and sends you somewhere else. And then you hit back again, and since it overrided again, the last place you just were, it just like goes back and forth. Oh, no, it doesn't get that bad. I have to, I, as in, I go through different screens, and I just keep kind of... I'm, I'm in a carousel. Nice. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's the whole problem with the back button on Android is it's, since it's not an OS-enforced thing, it could do whatever the developers do. Although you'd think Google Music would be one of the ones that works right. You know, I'm done thinking that Google are the ones that work right. There's so many products I've, I've had. I've but they up. designed the OS. They came up with the whole concept of the back button. This is true. I meant in terms of a Google product being pleasantly, pleasant, a pleasant user experience. Elaborate. Google Maps is in a very, very unpleasant user experience. And there's been nothing to improve it in the past. It's been out for maybe six months now. It's atrocious. It hasn't gotten any better. In fact, I think it's gotten worse. So are you not using Google Maps anymore? I have nothing what, else to use. What are you going to do? <laughs> Ghostbusters, I'm going to call them. <laughs> I got an app called City Mapper. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Oh, I use I, that. It's great. It's, it's convenient, and it shows which way you're walking. There are certain things in it that are just so much better. And they also have really silly motion, m- modes of, you know, if you have a jetpack or a catapult. Or, I don't know if I ever noticed that. Well, uh, there's an article that came out. I think it was Business Insider. About this. That's how I discovered City Mapper. Huh. But because Google Maps ties into my regular Google searches, in general, Google now types in uh, everything I type in on the computer. As soon as I then leave the building, oh, yeah, let me just pull this up quickly. And I'm sticking through Google Maps because... Every time I'm talking to someone over a medium that doesn't sync between my phone and my computer, mm. I always get bitten by... Like, I walk out, and mm. I want to refer back to the conversation, and I just go searching through my messages and then realize, oh, shit, I don't have the address. <laughs> I mean, that's why I appreciate Google Hangouts, which is, I guess, the closest thing we have to iMessage. Google Chat is actually the worst one. Google Chat has terrible iOS integration. Oh, well. <laughs> Skype. Even Skype is better. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> When you delete messages from your iPhone, yep, are they still back up in the cloud on, or on iMessage? No. I'm pretty sure they're not because Apple doesn't store them. And weird things, Apple actually has a slightly worse experience with their messaging service as a result. Like, mm-hmm. 
they don't keep a canonical copy on their servers. And so, like, if your device is offline, like completely offline, off the grid, and you have a conversation with someone, and then your device comes back online, and none of your other devices are online, that device will not get the conversation synced up. Like, some other device in the network that has trust, like has that same account logged in, has to be online to, like, sync it to it. It's like a peer-to-peer sync service. And it happens to me all the time that I go on iMessage, like, on a on a Mac that's not on the internet, or that's not that wasn't on the internet at the same time, and my phone is now off the internet, and my mm. messages don't go between them. Oh, that's it. Like messes up your history sometimes. But as a result, it means that Apple is not snooping. Right. Although I and so I learned that you have things on your phone. As in, when you delete it, it's still hidden on on the phone. It just uses a different file, so you can recover it differently. I'm sure that's true in a short term sense, mm-hmm. but. I mean, for performance reasons, iOS usually just marks things as deleted and then has a system-wide process that does the cleanup part of actually deleting the trash. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm only a newly minted iOS developer. I don't know very much. <laughs> we got to get Lisa back to tell us the answer to this question. Speaking of which, Lisa is no longer with Microsoft. Oh, no? No, she is now working for... Well, she's going to start next week. Um, at huge, huge, that's huge, huge dip. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. I think everyone the same thing. I later learned that there's a company called Hush that's right around the corner from them. They're also a bit of a development branding shop. Huh. So kudos to her. Speaking of trust, perfect segue. This whole uh, security and privacy thing. Oh, no trust. Yes. This. Um. Yes. I wanted to chat about the role that. Tr- trust plays in relationships and how that plays out in life in the business. So I have a thing called the hat theory, and I should really write this down sometime, where no matter what you do, you're still the same. You, you wear different hats depending on what you do, but you're still the same person. So if you, in, while wearing one hat, or I guess one outfit, but hat, because you just, just, it's the easiest thing to quickly change, mm-hmm. you're in a romantic setting. If you lack if something there, trust, confidence, if you're paranoid or anything along those lines, you will then go into a different setting and you'll do the same exact thing, but you, th- you, th- you think they're disparate, but they're not. So the same, you're still the same person and the thought process and mental schema that you espouse and uh, have kind of been ingratiated, you've maintained them. So your decision-making process is still under the same formula. But so where do the hats come in? Different things that you do you wear a different hat during that time. So romantic is one hat, at work is another hat, with, at play, you know, out with friends is another hat, side projects, what So your you. personality, I would say, is the part that you retain when you change hats. Like what it is that makes you who you are is the part that doesn't change, those things that you do under every hat. Right, and you'd, you'd think that, again, this is the, I think this is one of the more important points, you think that because of a different scenario, you would act differently, but you tend to have something that, that's, that, you still have something that sticks behind mm-hmm. your fundamental process of how you go through this. You go on a very, very abstract level because you're still the same person. Which is the hardest part to think about of yourself. Yeah. It's so hard to take the macro view of yourself. Like, what do I do in all cases? Yeah. Because you think, no, this is so specific and there's no way. And then you go, no, wait, no, here's actually what I do. Here's how I, how I treat that. I've which actually is, been asking myself that question recently and it's really hard to answer. It's a fat, which is why I encourage you to journal. It's a fascinating way. I do it on my blog, but yeah. No, do it by hand. Do it by hand. I really, really hate writing with a pen. It is just so slow. 
I haven't. I don't think I've written with a pen or a pencil other than signing my own signature in months. <laughs> I I I miss writing with a pen. My handwriting has gotten so bad. I mean, I can still read it, but it's gotten so bad. My my typophilia is the reason why I hate writing by hand because I obsess over the characters that I'm writing. And it makes me write so damn slow. Like when I have to write someone's like birthday card or something, mm-hmm. oh my god, it takes me like a minute per sentence. Which it so it should because then you might have to cross something out. And then, I mean, I practice a couple of times before before I send out a card. Or write you one. write on a separate sheet of paper. Oh yeah. Proof it. Oh totally. Oh They'll do god. it again. Like okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> I don't like how I wrote that T. I'm gonna use curved bottoms this time. No no no. I meant like <laughs> content and spelling and like and legibility. Um. I remember I actually started using a curved T because regular T looked too much like a cross and I, I was in Jewish day school. I thought, I'm not a fan of this. Let me make this a little bit less fishy. <laughs> and that's a rich instant rim shot. But I'm because fish was the only <laughs> Don't <sin>. explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think of a segue. <laughs> and then... <laughs> All right. We're good. Okay. <laughs> and I'm curious how... So right now I'm in the middle of a new relationship. And it's probably the most vulnerable I've been in a very long time. Romantic relationship. Yeah. And... Listeners, walking partner. Remember. Continue. Listeners what? You made all these comments about a walking partner. Oh, Yes. Two episodes ago? Last episode? Anyway. Oh, yes. The walking partner. Yes. So we've been getting getting closer and closer. And with this comes trust issues. You know, territorial, like the the, the ugly side of of people. The jealousy, the the, the discussions of what's right, what's wrong, who can do what, why, whether or not, at what point do you sacrifice some of yourself to be with that person or do you not or is this, is it in fact a sacrifice? And I was thinking about you know, what you know. There's something happening now, you know, theoretically speaking, that, that I'm, I have a trust issue with her. How would that play out with a business? If I think so, let's take examples. If you think your partner's cheating on you, or you think that maybe your co-founder is is considering other options. So a couple of months ago, uh, maybe two, uh, the CEO of Lyft left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lyft left. He, inside story, um, wanted to, he made a list of demands and said, I want to be above Logan and Jim. I want to be above the founders. Mm-hmm. Of course, they said no, because why would they? So he left and he took one other guy with him. And now he's working for Uber. And where is he in that organization? That I'm not sure about. But he has all the trade secrets. And to have to lose somebody to your competitor with all your trade secrets is, is the thought of somebody leaving. It's, it's somebody cheating, somebody breaking your trust. It's somebody that you're around day to day that they might be thinking about going somewhere else, either flirting with someone or, or leaving or, or alternatively, if it's somebody who is just disrespecting you in some way, someone who is being a poor employee or a poor co-founder who doesn't care as much about something, they'll loaf around. These are... Issues they develop both in relationships of, of any of, well relationships of any sort. And I don't necessarily have a problem with someone leaving and going to work for a competitor. It depends on. I mean, but if it comes out of nowhere, as in like you're completely blindsided by it. I I mean I don't know. 
But even if you're not blindsided, you still know that somebody's flirting with somebody else. I, that- I can see it in a romantic relationship. Why this is, I mean, <clears throat> but in a business setting, it is a little different. And also, like, if he has this disagreement with the founders, then, like, that's going to be poisonous to their working relationship anyway. And he's got to leave. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, that no, definitely, there's, there's going to be a tremendous amount of... I mean, it depends on, like, if he goes to Uber and starts telling him, like, here's all the ways we can stick it to Lyft. But, like, I don't know, Uber's kind of doing that already. And for, honestly, my personal take, I mean, I'm not saying it's right because it does feel a little slimy. But on the other hand, I really don't think there, that Lyft has any trade secrets that Uber doesn't know already. In this particular case, it could be some other case. If it was pharmaceutical companies, it would be, like, Almost certainly that they have trade secrets. Well, there, there's, there, there, they would have a non-compete clause. Here, it's a little non-competes different. non have no teeth. Really? For the most part. No. I guess if you're if you're high if you're important enough to have a non-compete and you're high up enough to make a difference with that non-compete, you're going to be able to break out of the non-compete. Most companies that want their non-competes to be honored have some kind of golden handcuff built into it. Like, you're, if you like, so in other words. A good example, Scott Forstall left Apple. Mm-hmm. Well, he was kind of forced out. But he wasn't allowed to talk about anything. He wasn't allowed to write on his, like a blog or a website or a tweet or anything. Like He didn't touch social media for I don't know how long. It's been a while. I think he might have resurfaced. But anyway, the point is he kept getting paid. He, his salary continued. He had like a severance plan, which is like pretty cushy. <laughs> and that would immediately be terminated if he breaks the terms of the action piece. <laughs> Uh, let's just time and well, yeah, I see what you're saying about the gold handcuffs. I but this is more about something smaller, something when you're building a team out, when you're in the trenches together, and you think you're busy focusing on building something out, not thinking about is this person going to leave me? And that's the thing. If you're in this constant state of of am I going to be abandoned? Which is, I mean, you, again, going back to huge psychological issues or, you know, kind of core elements that are really, really painful for us. Rejection, abandonment. These are things that you that can be that can play out multiple ways. It's especially hard to lose key early team members because there's so much institutional knowledge contained with like that they hold and that's lost when they well, leave that's, the company. That's the logical side of this. I mean from the organizational perspective, yes. From the business also... side, you have to look at it that way. But from the personal side, this is somebody who I we, we, we went to war together. This is somebody who I trusted, who I confided in, who saw me at my worst, who saw me at my best, who I celebrated with this person. Now it's now they're now they're leaving for what we fought against. Yeah, well, yeah, and that could be that. That sounds like it could be words you have for a relationship too. Like this, my in the sin- personal relationship sense, that's like going to your like best friend or something. Oh yeah, that's yes. But there's, and in terms of building that trust, it's. <laughs> Except the opposite, because Uber and Lyft are the opposite of best friends. Although they work together when it comes to kind of government relations type stuff, they they're on the same. They had a hearing yesterday, and in New York City, about various ways of you know, do you have to have affiliation with a certain site? And to in one, both Lyft and Uber disagreed with a lot of the points that that were put forth. But Lyft disagreed with them differently than Uber did because Uber can just technically, eventually, if it gets passed the way that Uber wants them, they can just buy out everything and then Lyft can't even operate, nor can anybody else. Right. They just have a bigger purse. 
then that would be bad. So they do come together when it comes to campaigning, but they're still good. They're at each other's throats otherwise. It's like it's the Soylent guy, apparently. I mean, if he really is not that sincere in how he thinks that Soylent can replace food and we should have a, a separate faucet for Soylent. I don't know that he doesn't think that. I bet he has a separate faucet for Soylent. But I think... I mean, he's daft. <laughs> but I think that he may be sort of... He's being a little more grandiose than he really, like, in his core, really believes can be possible. <laughs> kind of like the Bill Gates thing in the 80s, a uh, mm -hmm. computer on every desk. Like, do you think Bill Gates in the 80s really believed and understood the gravity of a computer on every single desk? Well, the internet didn't exist yet. I mean, he understood, the, he understood it being there. He didn't understand the gravity. Cause, uh, the gravity that we have now is... But even the gravity of just computing, every single person having access to computing... Mm -hmm. Is I mean, do you? I really don't think that Bill Gates, when he said, when he first said, a computer on every desk, mm. really believed that it could be done. Maybe he did. Just like it, maybe the Soylent guy believes. I mean, imagine a future where space travel is an actual thing that we might actually do. Like it sounds like it's out of sci-fi, but I don't know. So does talking to your cell phone. So <laughs> talking to, not through. <laughs> and um. It, Maybe Soylent is could be a part, like an important part of a possible future. And what a dismal future! I'm not saying that there can't be other food, but having a cheap, like for instance, maybe you have a solution for how to get up and running on Mars, but first you've got to get there, and it's going to take two years. Like then, it'd be better if you're growing fresh fruits and vegetables on there, so you can learn how to do that. Well, so then, so and also people for after two years, people need interaction with something natural. They need unless you, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you put them to sleep, and the soylent is just like an automatic thing. I mean, Ugh. it doesn't really matter. Or maybe it's just for people who are going into harsh environments. Maybe they don't even eat the soylent. It's just a backup plan, just in case. Then that's not a faucet. It's an MRE. I mean, yeah, but I'm sure Bill Gates had some. Okay, how about Microsoft Bob? He didn't see the future perfectly. <laughs> Microsoft Bob? Yeah. It was trying to be Siri way, way before oh. voice recognition could be. It was clearly a failure. <laughs> it was trying to just be like how Siri is. You just kind of, in human terms, interact with your computer. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe if you're sending people on a two-year journey through space, like, yeah, set up hydroponics and a greenhouse and everything. But just in case, like, all the plants on board get, like, a disease or a fungus, you don't want everyone to starve. Cannibalism. <laughs> the Donner Party. And in that case, a food replacement that has an almost infinite shelf life that is a perfect nutrition would be a really good thing to have on hand. Yes. This is, but then, but again, this is completely different than the intended usage of with this guy. So this guy is trying to make it a meal replacement for regular people. I could totally see it as a military thing, too. Like, you're sending people through the desert on there covert missions. Yes, no, you're completely right here. But I'm taking issue that this is not for, it's not meant for. It's not for everyone. But it's being intended as. It's being intended for the normal, for layman use, even though it should be for the extreme use. Honestly, it, there is a lot of problems with the way our culture interacts with food in general. I think oh, it's, one it's of those things despicable. is the, the focus on richness, on flavor, is sort of a problem like i see where it's coming from i see the benefit of that but 
part of how we re relate to food is if it tastes good, you eat it until mm -hmm. you don't want it anymore. And when it tastes good, you eat more than you should. Right. And in terms of the richness, there's also the element of you don't really know what this food naturally tastes like. You assume it should be filled with... I can tell you, Soylent, as soon as you stop feeling hunger, you don't have any impulse to eat it because it literally is just a balanced nutrition. There's no extra salt. There's no extra sugar. There's nothing in there to trick you into eating more than your body actually wants calorie-wise. It's extremely easy to eat until you just don't feel hungry anymore and then stop. But I think that if you're to eat completely natural foods, you would also feel that same exact way. I don't think so because we evolved in, in an environment where when food was – when you find food and it tastes good, you eat until you're no, no, no. So we're, not we're, hungry. We're drawn to fat, sugar, fat, <laughs> fat, sugar, and salt, right. which we have abundance of in fast food. I'm saying if – and which when you eat it, it fundamentally changes your, your – your eating habits. It but our biological setup is such that when we get hungry, we then go and seek out food. And in a pre-human civilization sense, seeking out the food took more than 15 minutes. Once you get hungry, you well, wouldn't be eating within 15 minutes. Maybe if you're an amateur. <laughs> and there was some effort involved in procuring food. It wasn't just like instant. Which is why it was a big deal. People you didn't, didn't just... always get sugar and fat as soon as you thought that you felt like having it. Well, no. It's not that we felt like having it. We feel like that way now. It's... Well, that's what I'm saying. Our relationship to food right now is kind of odd. We can, f we can indulge our whims at any point. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm just saying I don't eat Soylent at every meal. I eat it like, I don't know, twice a week or three times a week. Like I eat it on days when I'm working from home, which is a couple of days a week. And in the middle of the day, I don't feel like cooking. And so I just pour Soylent into a pitcher and shake it. And then I throw it in the fridge. And when I get hungry, I just eat some. But I've done that like four days. And you'd rather do that than eat a nice nutritious meal of any sort? What nice nutritious meal do you suggest? Well, if you don't want to cook it, then get plated or Blue Apron or Sweet Roots. We'll link all those in the show notes, especially Sweet Roots. Soylent is especially cheap in comparison with all of those. Right. It's also shit yeah, or it's... jizz or whatever. I don't know. If you put a tablespoon of peanut butter in it, it just tastes like a peanut butter milkshake. This whole shake thing <laughs> completely eludes me. I, w I want to feel There's a, part of eating food is the texture of food. It's also the mo one of the more fascinating parts. I'm not people, saying that I don't enjoy food anymore. I'm saying when I feel lazy, I can eat this particular food. But that means it doesn't spending, bother me. That means you're spending too much time inside working to the point where you get so hungry that you can't even fathom cooking yourself a meal. I do. Sometimes I make myself a sandwich. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> sometimes I get up and go to the coffee shop and have a sandwich there. But wouldn't that be just cheaper just to get something like plated or blue apron? You think those things are cheaper than making a sandwich at home? And then buying a sandwich. Uh, cheaper yes. in the long run because of your health bills, yes. I don't think, I don't really know about these services, but I suspect that the the sandwiches at the coffee shop are perfectly fine. It's not Starbucks. It's like a local, like, it's an individual guy. His they name use... is Max. <laughs> he owns two coffee shops. So they use shitty bread and they use shitty ingredients. No, I mean, yes, they don't. It's great. Yesterday I went out for dinner and I, I, I cannot believe how just mediocre the food was. Well, the it food just... at this coffee shop is really good. It's like I would invite people to go to brunch there except for that it's in Brooklyn where I live and no one <laughs> would want to go. But when it's just Tara and I, we go for brunch there. It's They have great food. 
it shocks me how bad food can exist. And it can be so, then people are, people will eat it. There's something that can be so crappy and it's still being sold. That you're allowed to have such subpar products, which it it's as kind if, of like the Farmville of food. It's not a great, Farmville's not a great game. McDonald's is not great food, but it hooks into a particular biological deficiency that's, that is optimized for a different time. And McDonald's tastes good. Which is <laughs> why it should not exist. It's specifically designed to exploit us for the, so that we can then give them money. Okay. They can then make money off us. If we did not, if we did not associate growth with success, you know, absurd amounts of growth with success, then we would not. Then McDonald's wouldn't be successful. Then McDonald's wouldn't be inclined to be so successful. It wouldn't also wouldn't have formulated food to be this way. Since it opened up, it's refined itself many, many times. Yeah, over. I think McDonald's started out as a regular old burger joint, and they've become what they are as a result of these biological deficiencies. Not. No, no, but but they're, they're catering to the kind of people that want to go to a burger. Joint. But they're also fine tuning it. I and guarantee you, Shake Shack is not going to be as nice as it is right now in twenty years. Actually, I don't want to say I guarantee because you well, never know what will happen. Well, actually, things are going to be better because Shake Shack just closed down in in um, Madison Square Park for innovations. Why does that mean that they're not going to be exploiting our desire for fat and sugar? Man, they may be, they might be better in some way. They are. They're going to. And this is what this is what companies who have to grow do. Rather than, rather than acknowledging there's a certain level beyond which we are ex being ex that they're, the company is exploiting someone or the population at large, if we say X is the maximum of food that people will eat, sorry, it actually be Y on the Y axis. If Y is the maximum of number of people who should eat, then anything above that is exploitation. And, I'd and, say and therefore could, should not even if they don't eat too much, if they're eating not the right balance of stuff that's right. also still like no but i mean i'm including that in there okay if you're right. eating... so if you exceed any of the columns yes okay which is the total the, to the synthesis y would be the synthesis of everything that you eat and if you're just and if at y is where we should be we're at like y plus 100 because we're just we're there comes times two <laughs> times well two. probably times 0.15 I, I think it's higher you because think people eat more than 15% more than their body needs? Well, look, we have, we have a preponderance of people who are morbidly obese in this country, across the world. Maybe. Maybe it's 50% more. It, but it, it's every 1,500 calories you eat per day is one pound of fat. 1,500? Yeah. You need 1,500 calories per, per day. Per day to get, well, in one day to get a pound of fat. More than what you need from, because of your metabolism. Uh, yeah, that's... It's hard to calculate that. I've, I've heard numbers higher than that, and I've heard numbers lower than that. If you eat one extra cookie a day, it doesn't add up to a more and more and more pounds. Like, at some point, you level off. Carrying around those pounds burns off the extra. Sure. You do reach a, 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 a plateau when you, from eating. Like, if you eat 1,500 extra calories every day, you don't just keep gaining weight. Eventually, you level off. Yes. 1,500, more than 1,500 over your regular calories. So like you would, if you need, so right now you need 2,000 calories, you need 1,500, you do, and then you would then gain one pound of fat. You do that enough times, that when your daily intake needs to be 2,500, then you need extra 1,500 from there, that's another pound of fat. Right. So it, it grows with you. It's X being your, your, your resting, the amount that you need at that time. Yeah. Uh, 
I think just in terms of conversion, that's what it needs. I understand, yeah. It, there, I don't know what the exact right number is. I think I've heard higher numbers than that. I've heard like 3,000. No. But, there's no way people are eating that many calories. But if you think about how much people consume during... Well, per day. Okay, so I don't even know. This is, this is on a completely different method of calculating. So maybe 1,500 is right. That's basically saying you eat an extra 1,500 a day and you gain a pound of fat every, not day... You have to really try. But then you think about how some of these kids from the day they were born, they were, I mean, they were born overweight. They were also born with, we're also screwing with our, with our metabolism so much because the parents are eating something very poor, mm -hmm. which means that when the kids are born, they already have deficiencies and they already have miswirings. Yeah. We're, our bodies are surprisingly plastic and... Well, now they're now we make it our now we make it plastic ourselves. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> yeah. Although you know, in terms of BPA, yes. <laughs> so, in this, in the myriad ways that we're destroying the ourselves, our connection to the environment, the environment itself, and and you know anything in between. Actually, no, that's not an addition. We we that that's what we're doing. Okay. Um. I I'm always surprised that you're not already an effective altruist. <laughs> You seem like exactly the kind of person who would have been struck by the effect of altruism lightning bolt. I'm not following. I'm not familiar with this. Uh, it, okay, I don't think I can do it justice, but I suppose I will try. <laughs> it's sort of the idea of it? realizing that... I think the core of the movement is that tr altruists, people think of altruists as people that do good deeds and go mm -hmm. out and like give themselves away. But they sort of... Like hookers? No, but um, it's at some level, like, if you're really trying to be rational about making the world a better place, for many people, the, the most effective thing that they can do in terms of improving the entire world is get a job doing the thing that they are best at, make as much money as possible, and donate all of that money to a charity that is doing That's exactly work. what I want to do. Exactly. But there's sort of steps along the way, like the rationalism mm -hmm. things that uh, I'm just surprised you haven't connected with this movement. That's what I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I, maybe I just haven't discovered it yet. But yes, these are things that definitely resonate with me. Um, anyway. Um, it, How did you come across it? Uh, less wrong, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I actually read an essay about it recently. I mean, I, th I thought That's that... That's what brought it to mind. I thought that Zuckerberg donating $25 million to Ebola treatment is fantastic. I mean, he spent $12 billion to get WhatsApp... But 25 minutes, it's a good start. Also, well, uh, the difference is and if only he had, expects a return on investment on like, WhatsApp like, for investors. Uh -oh. The $25 million, like he's running a company. He thinks the purchase of WhatsApp will increase if, the value of Facebook plague, in a long time. If we have a plague. That will decrease the value of Facebook. But, yes. But let's be honest. A plague is unlikely. I've played the game. It could be fun. <laughs> we'll I, I'm this. not saying a plague can't happen. But <laughs> it's, I mean, at this stage... A plague is pretty unlikely. That's why. So when Ebola came out, I mean, when Ebola thing was kind of percolating, my brother and I were trying to plan a vacation, and, I, and then he later learned that he didn't renew his uh, visa, his his uh, passport in time, so he can't travel. Right, right. passport. Um, that's the word. But I wanted to go to Iceland first because I really want to see the Northern Lights. But in my back of my head, I thought, you know, in that game, plague, Iceland is the hardest hardest uh, country to infect. It only has it only has one boat port, and it's also very cold. So you have to evolve the virus or the whatever the the plague to be. Right. And most things, uh, most bad things spread quicker in hot environments. Right. Just okay. because chemically, 
chemical reactions take place at higher mm-hmm. take place faster at higher temperatures generally speaking right okay. up until the proteins break down but they doesn't happen which any. is why i had to evolve it many many times for it to be survived i've never played this game i can't believe i have not heard of it it sounds oh, play gink it's it's really really fun I what, ver- uh, what is it for like uh, tel- uh how does how does one play you get in the app store oh interesting yeah. um I'm sorry, I sidetracked this conversation. I think we went exactly where we should go in terms okay. of altruism um, and... Oh, Ebola. There's <laughs> a big one. Uh, well, so I don't really think we have much to add to Ebola, so I, let's not... Oh, like we should pay attention to climate change, too? We're, we're, we're having a rapid response to this, but climate change is going to be a little bit bigger. Uh, yeah. Oh, so we're... There's the amount of mishandling here the, and bungling is... I don't know bungling. much about Ebola. Tell me what you know. What I know mainly is that hardly any Americans have been infected. Like, I think less than 10. The issue is that it's hit here, and we've, we're doing a tr- tremendously shitty job of following protocol when it comes to isolating those who did get caught, those who, well, rather those who did catch it. So there are people who, had, who displayed symptoms were allowed to fly, even though there was awareness of them possibly having it. And because people, why? Because they had a fever? Yes. Don't doctors tell you not to fly if you feel sick, regardless? Yes. And there's also the incident, I think, yesterday of some passenger was vomiting and, and died on a plane. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was said to not be Ebola-related. So, cool, there's more than one thing going on. Well, I mean, if you're about to die, vomiting is not, not uncommon, right? I think when you're in your death throes, those types of things happen. I don't know why you'd be on an airplane if you're in that state, but... I also don't know anything about the story. I almost, just hearing it, because this is the first time hearing of the story, it almost sounds like the kind of thing that something similar to it <laughs> happened, but not that. Mm-hmm. And then it made the Fox News cycle, and now it hit Facebook as this is the story. Someone threw up and died on a plane. Oh, sure. Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I only half believe that this actually happened until I see it like for myself in a reputable news source. We'll start, we'll start getting, oh, I think that's safe for yourself. Start going on more planes and start watching people die. No. That um, seems rather grisly. I see you're using Flux on your phone. Well, this is Twilight on my phone. Twilight. Um, yes. What happened to Flux? There's no Flux for... for oh, right. Okay, I remember now. Twilight There's... is a Flux <clears throat> for iPhone. And or Android. Again, I still believe this is the most important application I could have... Um, I, 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 could, I, could, I could have installed. Really? I mean, do you feel that, like, before you installed it, you were unable to sleep and now everything is good? Yes. See, that doesn't happen to me. I literally read on my iPhone, and I put it in night mode, so it's like a black screen with gray text. And I read until I get tired. It takes about 15 minutes, and then I go to sleep. One of the things that's really important about this, and I think we'll end off on that. Recently, you had um, a three physicists who, well, by the three folks who won the Nobel Prize for Physics for creating a, the blue light for that, sorry, for an LED mm-hmm. to create the diode. Prior to that, they couldn't, they couldn't make Creole white light. But now that this has been created... People assume that if we've created something, it could only be good. As in, there's no way this could have any ramifications. I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> true, but well, okay, continue. An application like Twilight and Flux shows that despite all our progress and prowess, we've still, we still have to reevaluate whether or not this is entirely good for us. And we have to find ways to adapt what we've created to, be, to, to, to ensure its fidelity to who we are and where we came from. I would say, personally... 
I'm more or less on the same page as you, but I don't think blue light shining into your eyeballs is the most important thing you can do on your device. I think turning off all of the all of the little bits of software that poke and jab at you all day oh, I do. that disturb no, no, no. your peace are so much bigger of a problem than having a blue light. Well, so ah, this is where I'm not sure. When things that poke and jab at you, those those affect your mind and you get distracted. Which this affects type, your mental health at so yeah, much higher of a level. This type of light affects your melatonin levels, which affects, it's been cancer rates, uh, cataracts, glaucoma. Um, but stress affects all those things too, which is how you feel all the time when you have these things just poking and jabbing at you all day long. People who design software to be intentionally addictive, I think that is morally reprehensible. Blue, Much more so than blue LEDs. Blue, I, so blue lights, but blue lights also affect birds. In fact, we have so much light everywhere that we don't see dark. We don't have darkness anymore. Right now, it's you know. Right now, we're recording at six forty-five, and the lights are coming on, and it does not feel like night. In my room, I do not have dark. I have to put on sleeping mask. Also, it doesn't help that my that my um, shade that my shades are white and somewhat translucent, which I guess defeats the purpose of having shades. But they look pretty. So you could buy other shades, you know. I know, but uh, sleeping mask also works. That's just like such a like nineteen fifties like it, it, it <laughs> grandma. Sh- it shows that there's still a degree of humility that we have to show about our what we create and wh- what our origins are. We can't deny our origins. We have to make sure we we should be more mindful of them as we're creating new things, as opposed to just embracing that we've that something's here now and we should and this is gonna be the new big thing. We've we had issues with with leaded gasoline. We had issues with chlorofluorocarbons. We have issues with cigarettes, by which were both invented by the same guy. Yes. We have issues with lead paint and lead materials. These are just because we made something does not mean it's this is blue light. When it finally gets realized for what it's worth, for what it does and how it has to be mitigated. And during our flux discussion, I said the same thing. People, who, uh, companies who make these devices, it should be opt out that this turns on. That way, the default's there, and people are protected from their devices. And people do need, in fact, protection. This is the equivalent of seat belts. I think televisions are a much bigger problem than phones. People that watch TV right before bed, it orders of magnitude more bright white blue light shining well, so on your face. Here's here's and so many more people watch TV before bed than like look I'm, at their this, phone this for hours I'm not before sure. bed. But people are texting right while they're in bed. In fact, they sleep with their with their phone right by their yeah, head. Yeah, but outside of like the urban area, I don't even want to say that it's not in urban areas, but in suburban culture, mm-hmm. it's very very common to have TVs in the bed. Oh, agreed. And which is why, I'm, I, again, electronic manufacturers should do exactly this. Like TVs have a sleep mode, like a thing where the TV will automatically turn off. That's how pervasive this is. Mm-hmm. I just, but no one wants their TV to turn orange at, at, at nighttime. Like no one wants to turn on their TV and every TV show they flip through the channels looks like The Simpsons because it's nighttime. I think that's where we should go to. But no one wants it. No one will buy those TVs. I wouldn't buy that TV. I don't think it should be an option. Because people are doing something that's fundamentally toxic for them. You have to be able to opt out. It's like you, have, you, don't, you don't just get drunk because the times change. You voluntarily go out and get drunk. And then they have to deal with the ramifications. Okay. If what we're doing now is saying, okay, now it's not time everybody drink. And nobody has a choice but to drink. Because there are, there's no option to turn it off. There's no option to be responsible with it if you want to, unless you down something like that, which you can do for your television. But you have to go out and purchase all these things, much like drinking, in order to have this problem. You don't all automatically have a cell phone and a TV. But you don't get an option of what, what you can, what you, can, you don't have an option of what you would take to have it. 
You don't get an option of, I want a TV that will let me, that will mitigate any adverse health effects. You don't, when you buy a car, now it's default to have a seatbelt in there. Before it was not. People had to install later on. I just People don't think that to... blue LEDs and seatbelts are on the same level. Completely. It, it destroys lives. It destroys other people's lives. It destroys the lives of, 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 it also harms the natural environment. Birds are being screwed up and they're singing at different times of the day. I mean, of the night, really. Right, but that's because of street lamps, not because of cell phones. Blue lights in general. Well, LEDs in general, which are going to be even more pervasive because they're lower technology. They're, sorry, they're, they're more efficient and they last longer. Mm-hmm. Which means you're going to be putting this into Both areas. Both of those things are great. Though. Yes, but they have to be adjusted for. You have to make sure that you adjust and you have more orange light over time. The same way that you should have an ambulance. When you have sirens going off in the middle of the night, they should be adjusted based on the, what, what's around them. But that and that volume should be adjusted. You should. It's really hard case to say. You know what? Ambulances should be quieter at nighttime so people can sleep. And then an ambulance gets hit by a car because the car, the driver of the car, didn't hear the ambulance. I mean, how do you make that case? Honking. Honking. But when an ambulance approaches an intersection, that's when they turn on the siren. Isn't that basically how it works already? I've heard them. I've I've heard it on. Like where I lived, the siren. Is like kind of at the low, like slow yeah. decline. Like, and then when they get to the intersection, that's when it gets like crazy. Right, right. Although a better thing is just to have the lights on. When cops are going somewhere and they're like, they have a, say uh, some guy in the back they already caught. Yeah. They usually just have the lights on. They they're just going. Yeah. They don't use the the rumble siren. Yeah. Well, the rumble is new. Yeah. Th- that's because because you, that's the only, practically the only thing you can hear through the windows of a car. Cars are so efficient at blocking out noise that you need really loud sounds in order for they, drivers to hear. They especially made that because people kept having such loud um, music systems. Yeah. Well, it's not just the music. It's also that the cars are better. As, um, and car alarms. I, remember this, I still remember this wonderful Snickers commercial. Oh. This guy took a couch. There was a car alarm going off. The guy took a couch and just threw it on top of the car and just destroyed it. I thought, this, is, this, this should be legal. You should be able to do this. Exactly. Do, this. do what? Throw, throw a couch on top of a car that has a car alarm going off for hours. Oh. Uh, once again, that would be a really hard case to make. If you have a car and it has an alarm, and then you're not there, and someone sets off the alarm, and then someone throws a couch <laughs> on your car, how do you, I mean... Because your alarm is useless and you're so far away. Remember, there's one car. Oh, there's douchebag. Well, I mean, so isn't the solution to this problem to just outlaw car alarms if they are not effective? But you still have to drive the point home to that bastard who decided to... I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at it at a macro level. You have two options. You can make it legal to throw a couch on a car, or you can just make car alarms against the law. I like to dedicate this to Snickers. <laughs> Not that I ever eat them, but... Folks, All right, so said it before, said it again. Download Flux, and download, if you have an Android phone, download Twilight. We'll link both in the show notes. Wait, the, I want... Okay. Most important thing you could ever... The most important app you could ever get. You also, because also makes, Not only does it protect your health, it also makes you think about where we are from a technology perspective and where we else where else we have to go and how we should re- make sure we always rethink something and how it affects us we cannot escape our origins and the, and and be and trying to is Icarus how can level you say hubris. that at the same time you want people to go to mars but in a way that is how are we responsible for our which i mentioned we have in to have, what way is getting in a rocket and flying to another planet still 
within our origins. I don't. I'm not saying we should suppress progress. I think not going there is not is not going there is is irresponsible on a but that is geological level. Our origin. How yes, are, but on that, but we would replicate planet Earth on that planet, and we would have to replicate planet Earth as much as possible on the ship. That's why I'm encouraging the plants and people having to have to interact with something that's not. But Mars just, is never going to be like Earth because it's an extra God knows how many thousands of miles away from the sun. This is true. So then how can you how can you advocate going to another planet when you think that looking at a blue LED is going to ruin your life? Going to Mars is 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 a next step into colonizing it so then we can eventually go to learn how to get to other areas where we have planets that are like Earth. But so many hazards on Mars are going to be worse than blue LEDs even yes. after it's been colonized. This is true. So but we have to balance part of what we have to do while we're on on Mars and I hope you have enough people who are sufficiently well-rounded to realize this, is to create an environment that's sufficiently like what we have here. Even if it's internal, even if it's just having been around plants and seeing things like woods, seeing things that, or seeing trees or something. What if it turns out we can't get the woods to grow on Mars? Then we're gonna, then the people who are going to be there are going to have a huge problem. They're going to have issues with, we're going to have massive... Yeah, what if it's all just bubbles in hydroponics? Everything is inside, like a city. You're going to have massive psychological issues then. The same thing you're going to have wherever you have in New York City on a significantly greater level. So if that happens, then you would take the stand that we never should have gone? If it turns out, like if we were able to get in Time Machine, go 200 years in the future, you would say, everyone's in bubbles on Mars. Everyone on Mars, like much, much higher level of psychological problems. We shouldn't be on Mars. We should be off Mars. We should, um, I would say we should adjust as much as we can to make it that way. We have to be aware of it first, then we have to adjust whatever we can to make it be more natural which is going to be difficult because inherently speaking you're faking it but right. if you can do it enough that you know it's 90 percent there that'll do but if you go into their thinking you don't need to do anything at all you can just create an environment and, be, and you'll, people will just be fine wherever they are that is foolish and dangerous and that's what we that's what we did places like new york city where you have these massive buildings that block off light that block off then we discussed this but in mars would be a hundred times worse than that if we couldn't terraform the atmosphere and even if we can it might take 100 200 years or longer and people are going to suffer i mean you know, the people who go there in the beginning are going to suffer tremendously you have the people who go there have to be again sufficiently well-rounded or be instructed by people who are sufficiently well-rounded to prevent these issues to be cognizant of them and then to take deliberate steps to, to fix them I, I want to talk about this more, but we don't have time this, this episode. I just I find it fascinating, the, the gusto with which you support Mars and the amount of sort of like intentional Ludditism you have about certain technologies a, we have on it's, Earth. It's not Ludditism. It's, it's, it's what Jeremy Rifkin is, is known for as well, and I thoroughly support him in this. He's the one who wrote The uh, Empathic Civilization, which I didn't believe we discussed several times yeah. on the show. That could be your book recommendation this week. Yes, that'll do. All right, folks. We've created things. Oh. We have to make sure, and this, this, this is his point, we've created things we have to make sure that we are mindful of what we've done with them before we let them just propagate. I think we do, for the most part. Not, not things like blue screens. We're still catching up with them. We're realizing just how harmful they are. They're a huge improvement from the screens we used to have. Uh, I mean, we've only had LCD screens as a widespread technology for, what, 15 years? Yes. And it's done. It's in. And for 40 years before that, we had CRTs, which were literally blasting you with radiation unless you were at least 10 feet away. And it's destroying you. It's destroying our sleep. And people are. The most popular search term in Google for why am, why am is why am I tired? I'll link that in the show notes. I, I'm in the middle of writing a blog post on exactly this. And which is why I'm. 
have somewhat prepared to discuss it. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to the Biz vs. Dev podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and find out when new shows come out. Or if you prefer to subscribe in a podcast listening app, you could download Overcast for iOS or the podcast app that's uh, made by Apple called Podcast. And what's <laughs> what's a good one on Android? Stitcher? Yes. We're, we're on Stitcher. Um, or use SoundCloud. Or you can listen on SoundCloud, although it's kind of hard to... There's no way to receive notifications of new stuff. But the RSS feed will do, podcast listeners will do, and so will Twitter. So we're at BizRestove, I'm at Jaro, and Nick is at Nick Farewell. Safari.